This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Learn more at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. And when you use code HRN for a new subscription, you get $20 off, and we at HRN get $10. All right, here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Oh, my God. Wait, how's the song actually go? You got to go. You gotta, I can't do anything without the Bedilla dance. Oh my god. That's too late, though, right? That's too far along. Ah, crap on it. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you pre recorded from my house because of COVID 19. What is it? Heritage Radio? What is it? What do we call this? From Manhattan. Here you are. We got Matt in some booth somewhere. Where the hell are you, Matt? I am in Rhode Island. Oh, are you in coastal Rhode Island or not? Indeed. Yeah. Newport. Oh, uh, yeah. It's nice over there. Are you, are, did you break into the Breaker's house? Are you living in some robber baron house right now? I sleep in one mansion, but I record HRN shows in a different one. Yeah. I mean, the, the trick of that is, right, that uh, those things are all closed down because of the COVID. So you could totally throw a rock through that and just live in one of those things. That'd be pretty sweet. Well, yeah, and if I can live long enough, I establish squatters' rights, and then we're in the money. Yeah, sweet. You know, at least one of us will have some money coming out of this thing. What about you, Stas? Where are you? I'm in Hell's Kitchen. Mm, where do you want to be? I came from Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I don't have good reception there. People, I want you to know, the only reason Nastasia came back into this COVID hotbed of New York City is for you people, so that she could have decent internet, so that she could record this. Is that true, Nastasia? Yeah, my internet's okay, but I wasn't 100% sure. Yeah, we also got Kat. Kat, what's up? I'm still in Bushwick. Uh, <laughs> so I'm you, still uh, here. So uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, you know, we're not allowed to congregate together. The radio uh, booth is shut down. Roberta's is shut down, as are all restaurants uh, except for takeout here in New York. Uh so we will not take calls this week, but hopefully, Matt, we can figure out in on you know coming weeks how to take calls and if we need to. Um, so anyway, so we're doing this this way. This is our first time doing it. Our chat room is still open. Not that you can know that because you can't listen to me live. But had you known, the chat room would be open now, and you could be chatting in things to Matt while we're while we're doing. This. Is that all accurate? And we did actually get a question for in the chat twenty eight minutes ago. So um, let's do it. You know, we can we can do that. You want to do that now? Okay. By well, the, the way, by the way, I, people, is- I was not officially late. I had pushed it to twelve thirty because I was dealing with Museum of Food and Drink stuff, and it wasn't going to go live anyway. So I was not late because I didn't have to. Also, leave my Dave house. was technically in this thing at like eleven thirty. Yeah. Earliest true. appearance of all time. Well, I had to test the equipment, Matt. I'm an equipment guy. I know. I really appreciate that. You are yeah. one of the only people to. Get a failure of the equipment here and figure it out yourself. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I am a failure. I am a failure of equipment. All right. So you want to explain how this whole HRN thing is working? What's going on or no? I mean, we are doing everything remote. We're trying to keep people. I mean, a lot of people are talking about, you know, coronavirus effects on the food industry. So we want to be uh, keeping out all getting getting all these shows to air. So we're just doing it, we're doing it over streams for now from across across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what we're supposed to be talking about? The uh, effect of COVID on the food industry? Because no, I, it's I mean, bad. It's real can, bad. I think. 
I think we can talk about that if you want to, and we can very intentionally not talk about that if you don't want to, because some people, I'm sure, are desperate to think about something else for a second. Yeah. Yeah. I know at, at existing conditions, we're still trying to figure out, apparently, so for those of you that don't know how this works, in New York, bars and, and restaurants are not allowed to serve cocktails to go, right? It's just not allowed. So... But, you know, when they order us to shut down for everything but takeout, that pretty much shuts us down straight up. So, you know, everyone's gone. And it turns out for a tipped employee, it's better usually to lay them off right away uh, so that they can get their unemployment based on their wages, including tips, at least whatever they've declared. So now is the only time in your life where it was good for you to have declared all of your tips on income taxes. Um, so... Apparently, New York City has said that they are relaxing um, the rules for having cocktails leave the building. We haven't figured it out yet, but other places have. Part of that's the delivery issues. Nastasia, places that are already hooked up with delivery issues because of food are probably have an easier time of navigating this. But Nastasia has many choice words to say about seamless Grubhub caviar and the like. Is that not true? Some choice words, Nastasia? Yeah, and I think a lot of restaurant people like on social media have been asking – um, all those delivery places to stop charging the insane prices, percentages that they take. Like I've seen everybody ask. So I think everyone feels the same way. Why don't you tell them what, they, sure tell them them what they take? They take like 25 to 30% of every order. Right. And so you're like, well, but then you don't have to have the service people. It's like, what, what, what? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, like, honestly, like, Doing takeout it would is great for our non-tipped staff, but I don't see how it even helps our our tip staff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yep. I don't know. And so far, those organizations have not caved no. to that. They have offered like what is it? They've offered like a stay on paying the commissions, but you the the restaurants still owe that money. They just aren't going to pay it right now, which is that's BS. That's not the same. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. It's also like, like giving someone an interest free loan. I mean, that's nice. If you had planned on taking a loan out, that's great. If you had planned yeah. on taking a loan out, I mean, when I want to borrow money, man, I want to borrow an interest free for sure. You know what I mean? But like, you know, uh, yeah. yeah if you, yeah, whatever. Well, okay, enough COVID griping. Enough COVID griping. Should we answer some? Wait, what's the chat question? Yeah, here we go. Uh, Nathan Page wrote in, I've got a question for Cooking Issues about some very heritage breed turkeys. It's Ooh. less than a month before turkey season opens in North Carolina. For the last two years, Wait, I've been what? fortunate they have enough. Wait, what? They have, a, they have a, like a springtime turkey season there? Apparently. Um, yeah. I don't I, know. By the way, well, before yes, you read this yeah, question, totally. before you read this question, Nastasi and I were at Modernist Pantry, uh, modernistpantry.com. Uh, how long ago, Stas? Like last, like Friday, Thursday? Friday. 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 Yeah. So we were, we were driving up there, soaking up the COVID on our ride up in a, in a, in a transit van that we had rented, getting all of the spinzols that we're going to refurbish. And on the way back, we're barreling down the highway at like, you know, I don't know, 75, 80 in this giant thing full of spinzols. And what do I see on the side of the road is a, a giant dead wild turkey. No shoulder. No shoulder. How am I supposed to get no. it? How am I supposed to get it? And plus, we needed to get back. Nastasia needed to eat dinner. We thought we were going to hit traffic going through, you know, on I-95 on the way home. And we're there. And we had the opportunity to have the wild turkey for dinner, the wild turkey roadkill. And I feel like I'm never going to have that opportunity. It looked in okay shape. I mean, its wing was hard effed, but right, Stas? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
We had the room in the back of the truck. You imagine, pull open the back, throw the turkey in with the spin saws and go. It's a lifelong dream. I've never been, every time I've seen a major roadkill, I've never been in a situation where I had the proper vehicle, like something I could hose down, something that's a rental, you know what I mean? Or it's something big. I mean, I'm not going to eat a woodchuck off the side of the road. A lot of what you see on the side of the road over here is like woodchucks, like raccoon skunks. I've cooked raccoon. No, thanks. You know what I mean? Like, but at least the raccoons over here I've cooked. No, thanks. I mean, maybe a young raccoon's delicious. Who knows? But you see a turkey on the side of the road that was clearly hit by a vehicle and like that's prime eats right there. Uh, I'm very. How would you know if it's good to eat or not? Like if it's been there too long? Well, when you feel it, right? You see how fresh it seems. I mean, if it's gone into rigor, it's been there a long time, right? If it hasn't gone into rigor yet and it seems relatively fresh and it doesn't have any like effed up. Like, so sometimes if you look at stuff and it's all completely like, you ever been to Fire Island? Any of you guys ever been to Fire Island? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You ever seen those demented mangy deer that they have there where like they have some sort of flesh eating virus on the on the fur and their fur is all gone and they're covered in ticks and they're just like just the grossest deer in the whole world. You seen these? I just saw cute ones. Nah, you didn't look close enough. Were you looking closely? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I guess like, not. Aside from the, I mean, look, what Fire Island has is beaches, blueberries, poison ivy, and mangy deer. That's what they got. You know what I mean? Ticks. Yeah, and ticks. Oh my God, so many ticks. So you got, your poison, you, got, you got your poison ivy and ticks. These are my favorite things. Blueberry and this mangy deer. But my point is, if I saw that deer on the side of the road, I'd be like, pass. Pass. But this this turkey looked this turkey looked fantastic. So you know. Anyway, so go on to Nate's turkey question. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering, Nastasia, were you if he had pulled over the van, were you are you like down with this plan? You'd be like, yeah, all right, load it up. Yeah. All right, cool. Just checking. Uh, all right. For the past two years, I've been fortunate enough to kill a turkey each spring, but I foolishly did not save any meat for Thanksgiving. Uh, we, I'm wondering what... Is this Nate talking <laughs> or Matthew talking? Matthew's a vegetarian, so I'm assuming it's Nate talking. It's not. It's definitely not me. I've never killed anything bigger than a mosquito. I'm wondering what Dave or others might recommend if I should do if I'm fortunate enough to kill another bird. Freeze whole? Freeze one half of it? Freeze only the breasts? My experience with the legs slash thighs has been... That that they need to be slow cooked. I'm not concerned about having a whole turkey to present for Thanksgiving either. Thanks, and I hope y'all are doing well through all of this. Well, you just, you just, you, I mean, first of all, I know you've killed one of those water bugs. So, mosquito, lie. All right, fine. Yeah. I've killed a silverfish. Um, I've killed all the critters like that. Wait, is a silverfish same as an earwig with the weird horns on it? No, the silverfish is the really long one that's got a bajillion legs. It's very disturbing to have in your apartment. Mm. Yeah, I don't like. Is that the one that eats books? I don't know. Mm. Anyway, uh, so what I would say is uh, you should. You lost me a little bit at I don't care about the whole bird at Thanksgiving, right? If you don't care about the whole bird at Thanksgiving, then sure, break it down into. Break it down into the the breast the and the the legs. Bust out the other stuff for stock and and and, and do it. But what I would do is I would I would try to freeze it whole. I would use the salt the salt freeze. So I would like I would do like a crushed ice salt. Pack it in. It's gonna like kind of brine it as it freezes it, and then it'll freeze real fast. So you get a real fast freeze. So you're not losing. Um, so like you know make, like. 
Clarence Birdseye, the way they, they, like these figured if you're freezing like thin layers, you do like Ziploc bags with salt and ice and you layer things in between the Ziploc bags or you put something in the Ziploc bag and immerse it in the salt solution. But if you were going to brine the sucker anyway, why not just immerse it in the ice salt slush, get a little of the salt in beforehand, let it soak in. It should freeze very, very quickly. And I think that's going to maintain the highest uh, quality over time. So then the idea is, is once it's frozen, you want to try to get as much of the oxygen out there. And the only problem with that is going to be the cavity because the cavity, it's like unless you vacuum it, it's going to be hard to get uh, all of the air out. But it shouldn't be too much of a problem as long as you just get like, you know, most of the air out. I don't think you're going to get much freezer burn as long as you're in a very deep freeze situation that doesn't have a lot of movement up or down. Most hunters, I would guess, have a fairly good chest freezer, uh, you know, that doesn't do a lot of defrosting. And so if you do that, you can maintain pretty high, uh, pretty high quality. Uh, all right. Is that a, was that not a reasonable answer? No, that sounds, sounds great. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, all right. So, uh, more, more chat questions, but again, you can't know that I'm asking you for them because you can't hear me. Okay. Uh, Mark, by the way, Booker is here eating a hard boiled egg because of course there's no school in New York either. So Hi. yeah. Can you hear him in the background? Hi. Yeah. Booker, you have anything to say to the cooking issues people? Um, I miss you guys. Uh, Booker, I don't know if you can hear him. The microphone's over here, Booker. He says he misses coming on the show and talking to you guys. You can come more. And he does not, he no longer wants people to associate him with shut up dad. He no longer wishes to be associated because with- Because it was cruel of me. I should not have done that. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it was cruel of you, but- oh, he, 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 can't, he can't hear you guys. He can't hear me? I, no, because I have headphones on. This is how this works. This is like how this uh, system works. Yep. He, can't, he can't hear you. But if you have a question, I can give it to him. Tell him it was cruel to not show up on time at work. <laughs> uh, Nastasia, your former boss, says it was not cruel of you to not show up on time at work. So it was cruel of you to not show up on time at <laughs> work. It was cruel of the F train to delay me 20 minutes and skip the and skip 14th Street. Oh, yeah? yeah. Tell Nastasia it was over an hour and a half he was late. There's no way it was 20 minutes. Street. She says you were late over an hour and a half. And there's no possible excuse for that. That's almost a no call, no show. And if you weren't, you know, fundamentally family, you'd be on your ear. Yes. What do you think? Did she even hear my? Yes, she heard your response. Yes. Yeah, but she's not buying the delayed F train excuse. T, like father, like son with the delayed train excuse. Yeah. 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 Uh, Okay. So. Mark wrote in from Kamloops, which is that place in Canada we talked about. What was it that they have in Kamloops again? There was something that they do specifically in Kamloops, but I can't remember what it was. Mark from Kamloops. By the way, Mark, you made a comment about Nastasia and moistness. She does not appreciate it. Right, Stas? Well, there's no equivalent dick-like thing, you know? Well, we're not going to say what he's... What do you mean? Well, Nobody you can cares say about checking your junk or his junk or any about man. what? What? What are you even talking about now? Oh, is this not the question where you said speculum? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but like, yeah. what does this have to do with, with, well, with uh, uh, a dude's junk? I don't understand the relation here. The only, because I can't be like, well, it's not gross. Like, the word is not gross. It's just inappropriate. And I can't, like, shout back with some equivalent for him. What about, like, a proctologist or holding the, holding the sack and cough, that sort of thing? I guess. Well, I, it's not intrusive. Now, you ever had someone grab your, your sack and make you cough? <laughs> that doesn't sound so bad. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, All right. We will ignore this section of the of the and go back to the question. I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, how long of a section does Pro Tools let me bleep? Can it be 30 <laughs> seconds? Not clear. I mean, it's not live anyway, so it's like beep. It's hey, also I, part of being a human. It's not like, you know. No, the question is just about the word moist. The question is whether moist is a reasonable word. That's what we're talking about. Moist is fine. Moist is fine. Anyway, so uh, back to a separate thing about bleeping. Have you seen the the, uh, the new episodes or relatively new episodes of uh, Narco, Narcos Mexico? In Narcos yeah. Mexico, there are actual Mexican government officials that they name and they instead of naming the real people like they do for like El Chapo and like, uh, you know, you know, uh, Felix Angel Gallardo, all these people, they just say them on the TV and then bleep them, which is kind of funny. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. All right. That it is. It is. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Anyway, uh, Mark from Sunny Kamloops. I was happy when you an- so happy when it- you answered my question on air. I felt like John Candy's character in Splash when he got his le- letter published in Penthouse. And by the way, I was having this discussion with a bunch of people earlier. Can you imagine there was a time in my lifetime where your only access to that sort of thing was to go purchase a magazine? How crazy is that? Babe, that conversation <laughs> was with me. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> on to the question. It was it was memorable. He really appreciated your participation in the, in the yeah, conversation, yeah. Nastasia. Yeah. Going a little cam loopy here, locked in the house. Okay. Uh, I can't find Induja in this bucolic uh, backwater. Nastasia, am I pronouncing that right, by the way? What? Is my Induja? Yeah. Induja? That's how you pronounce it? Yeah. Which? Ja or ya? Ya, ja. Ya, ja. Ya, ja. The way Kat said it. What? The way Kat said it. Ya. Induya. 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 So, so let's, just for what we're talking about. So this is an extremely high fat, quote unquote, sausage. It's really more of a spreadable sausage. It's kind of like, it's a lie to say it has the texture of like a liverwurst because it, it like, it's more kind of grainy spready. But it's got a lot of fat in it. It's it's roughly 50-50 fat and and uh, meat, and not like hyper lean meat either. And then a, a boat ton of spicy pepper, right? So that's what we're talking about uh, for uh, Induya. It became you know very popular. The first one that I had in the U.S. was made by Chris Costantino years ago uh, at uh, Encanto and his uh, at his uh, Celemaria. Uh, became fairly popular, fairly easy to get now in New York, but still relatively a niche product. I believe it's Calabrian. Anyway, uh, I can't find, uh, Mark writes in, I can't find Anduya in this bucolic backwater. I was wondering if Filipino longanisa could be a substitute. The stuff I can find locally, apparently the longanisa, uh, has aspergillus listed on the ingredients. Thanks for your time. Love the show. Regards, Mark. So the aspergillus is just a lactic acid uh, bacteria. So that's like bactoferm. So you need... Um, you're going to, all of these sausages are, are going to be somewhat fermented to drop the pH down. So whether they add Bactiferm or whether they add Aspergillus, and this goes for the Longanisa or for the Induya, it's going to have its pH dropped with, with that. So I don't think that whether or not it has Aspergillus is a, a measure of anything listed. It's interesting to list it on the menu because, I mean, uh, sorry, on the ingredients because I didn't know that you had to list Bactiferm on the ingredients. Anyway, um, 
I don't, Philip, the, the longanese is not going to be an accurate substitute. Every recipe I looked at, every image I saw of the Filipino stuff is not spreadable, so it's not Anduya equivalent. More garlicky, less red peppery, not spreadable, lower fat ratio. So I'm going to go ahead and say no, not a substitute. What do you guys think? Uh, I have no experience with this. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. All right. Stas, you, Stas just Good job. Care. Good job, Dave. Nah, you did a good <laughs> job. You did a good job. Why do you think she wouldn't be on Zappos now if she would be on Zappos I'm while sitting not. right next to you? I'm definitely not on Zappos. Hey, on hey, Zappos. hey. But like, uh, anyway, I, we had some Twitter, we had some Twitter back and forth with some people after I said that if Nastasia pays attention, I'll be, I'll be on time. I am and paying so, attention. We've had it on kind of both. I've had it on both sides. I've had Twitter interactions on both sides of this issue. So we can talk about that later. Cold Mike writes in about <laughs> hot sauce. Hi, Nastasia and Dave, longtime listener, have a two part question about hot sauce production. Nastasia's like, of course it's a two part question. Yeah. Uh, I've been making and bottling hot sauce out of my restaurant, Magic Bird Fried Chicken, for the last year. I'm now at a point of setting up a production space just to keep up with the demand of the sauce. Especially now, man. You, you know what? It's like, I wonder, we have so much. So yesterday when we went into, I, I'll get, I'm going to get to your question. I'm going to give you your time, cold mic. But like, we went into the bar yesterday and we had all of this fruit. And we're like, yo, we're not going to open up. So we just juiced it all. I, I have, and we're going to have to turn it all to cordial. I'm going to have to take all of that lime juice that we were going to shake and all that lemon juice we're going to shake and that turn it to cordial. Great. Yeah, but who wants to buy, like, how much can I sell a bottle of cordial for? Ask our rabid listeners. I mean, okay. How much would you buy a bottle yeah, of cordial for? Yeah, it's a great for? way to support the show in the bar. Well, I mean, it's the let's be honest, it's the bar's stuff. I'm not, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You'll make money there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Okay. As long as you brand it as coronavirus cordial, who yeah. wouldn't want to purchase that? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. COVID, assay-adjusted covidcordial.com. Yeah, like yeah. Every, yeah. everybody wants that. The people are already logging in. I can see it. By the way, the word of the week, clearly, the word of the week is fomite. You guys familiar with fomites? No. Really? No. You've made it through this whole so far, Megillah, and you don't know the word fomite? Oh my God. This is, for anyone that doesn't know this word yet, this is the word of the week F O M I T E, fomite. And it is any surface that can sustain and transmit a virus or bacteria after it has left the host. So, for instance, Elevator button, fomite, cardboard box, fomite. And the new studies that are coming out say that this sweet, sweet COVID can live for a long time on, you know, in a fomite situation on things like cardboard. So here's the thing, like we're all going out and we're having our fresh direct, which I now call fomite direct. And the people who are doing that are all delivering this stuff. They're not, they're not gloved up. They're not masked up. And they're just fomiting all over all of this stuff. So the good news is, is that anyone in a warehouse that's touching your stuff and delivering it, right, is giving you the sweet, sweet fomite. Now, they haven't proven that there is too much transmission via fomites, but they have shown that the virus is uh, viable on surfaces like cardboard and stainless for like days. So that's good news, right? Anyway. Yeah, this yeah. is making me feel oh, great. Oh, boy. Fomite. Anyway, so like every time I walk around, I've been calling, I've been calling Dax a fomite. I've been calling my dog a fomite. My dog like picks up food off the ground outside, and I'm like fomites because like you know it used to be my dog would pick up aluminum foil on the street and you would grab its its 
snout and try to rip, you know, prise his jaws apart and shake the aluminum foil out so that he doesn't swallow it and get, you know, All gastric blockage. Yes, he ate raisinets off the ground once. We thought he was going to die. Did you know, uh, since you have a dog... $600. Yes, uh, we paid $600 to uh, have the dog monitor for kidney failure. Grapes and raisins can kill a dog. Did you guys know this? I did not know that. I didn't know that about grapes. Kidney failure, yeah. Yeah, weird. Like, even a couple. Good to know. Yeah, and and, and there's no way to know... Even a what? What? Even a what? Even a couple, even a couple grapes or raisins can take a dog down, and they haven't figured out why. They haven't figured out like some sort of genetic test to figure out whether your dog is going to have that problem. Anyway, back to this hot sauce question. I've been making and bottling hot sauce out of Magic Bird Fried Kitchen for the last year. I'm now at the point of setting up production space to keep up with the demand. My first question is, what would be the best method to strain the cooked mash? Currently, I blend the cooked mash in a Vitamix and then pass it through a fine mesh chinois, but in the new space, we'll be cooking 75-liter batches in tilting kettles and blending them with a heavy-duty immersion blender. I am unsure of what the best way of straining that amount of sauce would be. Here's what I would do. Uh... So, super back material is nylon straining cloth. And if you go on Alibaba, uh, Stas, is, uh, are the Chinese factories back online yet? Yeah. All right, so you can go back on Alibaba, find this stuff. You need a, like a, a mesh, uh, nylon mesh straining cloth. And we use the same material at the bar that we use... Um, that is used in ma- making actual super bags, which are the strainer bags. So then you make these big, uh, you don't even have to make a bag. You can just lay the cloth. It comes in like three foot or four foot wide. I think even taller actually, maybe f- like four and a half foot wide um, pieces. You lay it and then you just pour it the equivalent in, into a giant colander. And if you really want to do it right, you then uh, get yourself like we have, but my mine only does like I think 30 liters at a time, um, a like hydraulic press. Go to Harbor Freight. And get yourself like a a, a twenty uh, ton hydraulic press, and then just get some big plates made out of uh, something that's food grade that won't bend, like for instance uh, Delrin or some kind of plastic, and make it fit inside of a large metal colander. Put that on top of a Delrin uh, piece so that it can drain properly, and just squeeze the ever loving hell out of it in in one of these bags. Now I will warn you, you should use like a triple, double or triple layer of this nylon because once you really bear down on the press you will uh, burst the bag somewhat. And you need to also have the clearance between the colander and the, and the pressing foot be just right. And also, I don't know if a regular colander will burst. I, use, I made my own kind of uh, cider press out of Delrin. You could just buy a cider press and then convert it to use a 20-ton uh, press to do it if you want. But I think that's going to give you the driest possible situation is, uh, is a, like a like a, a super bag slash paint strainer nylon in, in, a, in some sort of a hydraulic press situation for that kind of quantity. What do you guys think? Good job. Yeah, good job. <laughs> I did a good job. Good answer, good answer, We good can't answer. see any, I, look, people, like normally, like I'm bad anyway. So like when you're giving a talk, people are like, how did the talk go? I'm like, what do I know? I'm on the spectrum. I can't tell what people think. And then like, now that I'm like talking into like a computer with no video, I really I can't see anything except for Booker coming up behind me and eating Cheerios. That's the only thing I can see. You know what I mean? So like, I have no idea how this is going. Anyway, how, how many meals have your children consumed since we started recording this show? By the way, there's been nothing but meals because like you know Booker's current teacher with his distance learning is quote unquote sick, and so you know he's now not even distance learning. You know what I mean? Anyway. 
Uh, part two of uh, Cold Mike's question is, in order to keep the best consistency of my sauces, uh, are there any tools you would recommend? Uh, I'm already getting a pH meter, good to have, but I'm wondering if I should invest in a viscosimeter to, uh, to ensure all my batches have the same viscosity. I don't really know about that. That seems to me to be like, I don't really know, especially because I've never, I've seen them, but I've never used one. And I mean, if you were going to do very, very large batches um, and you weren't going to have be there to correct them by hand, I would say maybe. But I think if you're still having a little bit of a chef's touch in there, I don't really think that's necessary. But you say, should you getting a, a Brix meter, i.e. a refractometer to make sure the sugar content remains co uh, constant from batch to batch? Yes, you should definitely get one of those because uh, you're going to want to correct for that. But you should do it of the mash if you can, but, or get the bricks of the peppers before you add the salt, because salt, depending on the percentage you add, is going to radically kind of affect the, um, the bricks. Anyway, um, thanks for taking the time to read this, and I will send some bottles of hot sauce once production starts in the summer. Cold Mike. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Sounds great. I'm excited for the hot sauce. Yeah, I love a hot sauce. Wait, I have a thought, I have a thought on viscosimeters. Okay. Um, my dad makes syrup, he makes cane syrup, and he did start using a viscosimeter, like a pretty low-tech one, but just as like a safety net. He still eyeballs it uh, for the thickness, but he says that it's a nice tool to have. Wait, what'd you call me? Anyway, but he didn't, he didn't, <laughs> he, he doesn't just go by bricks, he actually does a bricks and a viscosimeter? Uh, I would have to follow up on that, but I do know that he... Checks the viscosity of the is syrup. Is there, because part of the problem is um, if he's going to thicken this sauce with, let's say, xanthan, right? Xanthan has a very specific, like, shear thinning capability. So your stationary viscosity is going to be much different from, a lot of a lot of these hot sauces are thickened with xanthan. So it's like, I think a lot's going to depend. I mean, syrup is good because it's a relatively, um, like, stable viscosity curve because it's not it's, – its viscosity isn't dependent upon long-chain molecules like hydrocolloids. Uh, I forget the name of the one that we looked at getting once. But, yeah, but Kat, do you have some sort of ability to put into something that uh, maybe Cold Mike could look at of the one that your dad uses? Yeah, I'll ask him what it is. All right, cool. Uh, hey, actually, can we go to break right now? And then uh... – I'll go to break. We're right back with Cooking Issues. COVID style. This episode is brought to you by Bend a Table, a monthly food subscription service for avid home cooks focused on delicious and sustainable pantry items. Bend a Table is founded by Ben Simon, a longtime food lover, advocate, and experimenter. Ben goes around the country finding the stuff that you would buy if you were vacationing somewhere cool like Charleston or California, and he buys it for you and sends it to you in a box. Bend a Table has three different subscription plans. One, pantry essentials, incredible dry staples each month. Rancho Gordo beans, Geechee Boy grits, and community grain pastas. All excellent, by the way. Global Delicacies is another choice, and it's a way to explore the cuisine of different countries and cultures. Delicacy boxes might include razor clams from Spain, tinned, obviously, wheat lacoche from Mexico, or grilled artichokes in oil from Italy. Bend a Table includes both the pantry essential and the global delicacy plan. By purchasing any subscription, you'll help sustainable, well-produced ingredients and small producers stay alive in today's big business environment. Ben is sending uh, Nastasia and I some boxes in the next couple of weeks, and so when we get them, we'll open them up and we'll tell you what we think. Start your monthly subscription at bendatable.com. That's B-E-N-T-O-T-A-B-L-E.com. Use the discount code HRN to get $20 off a new subscription, and Bend a Table will donate $10 to support cooking issues and all of HRN's programming. 
All right, so you can come back whenever. Okay. Wait, you mean like right away? Like right now. Okay, like we're coming back? Exactly. And we're back! Okay, so uh, we have some questions here. Uh, so, Joao, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Joao, right? It's J-O with an N, J-O-A with an N, yeah, O. How would you pronounce that, Kat, since you're the pronunciation master today? Say it again. J-O-A with, a, with an N, yeah, over the top, O. Joao. 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 I don't know. Uh, what do you mean, Joao? Wow, Zhao. Isn't that you? You're supposed to know oh, this, wow, Kat. Zhao. You're the, wow, you're the person. Anyway. Uh, I'm having a hard time visualizing that. Uh, you don't know what? Pronounce it. Okay, okay. Long-time listener, first-time emailer, creepy dude that worked at Blanca and most Tuesdays. Tried to get your attention and a potential nickname failed. You couldn't have been cre- that creepy. If Nastasia didn't give you a nickname, you could not have been that creepy. Am I right, Stas? Yeah. I mean, Nastasia yeah. gives plenty of people nicknames. Wait, do we all have nicknames? Do I have a nickname, Nastasia? Uh, I think he's no. talking about the people that work at Roberto's. Yeah, yeah. I get well, he's that, a, he's but a, I realize, he's a Blanca, I realize that if you're frequently nicknaming everyone around you. No, you don't have one. All right. Remember uh, Satan's uh, little helper? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember him, that? Uh, he looked like a cross between a Hitler youth and, and Santa's elf, and he would, like, go around... <laughs> Roberta's. I don't Remember? know which one that is. I know who Freddie Mercury is, but I don't know which one that is. Come on, man. Stas, you remember who I'm talking about, he right? Before your time, Matt. He might have been before my time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Satan's little helper. Anyway. I'm also a French Culinary Institute slash ICC farm-to-table graduate, and uh, Senior Dave Arnold's antics endeavors are mythical. I sometimes work at the school's cookery events, and every time something explodes, Dave is mentioned. Have I mentioned uh, on the air before the time when uh, the pastry chef there, Jurgen, I think it was Jurgen David, is there, and we used to have these uh, these ice cream machines, these Taylor ice cream machines. So I think we had a Carpigiani, like a like a LB100, but we also had the the Taylor tabletop air-cooled, uh, you know, batch machines. And uh, Sam Mason, ice cream, you know, magnate Sam Mason from Oddfellows, uh, was like, yo, can we carbonate ice cream? And I'm like, Sam, uh, you know, no, I don't think, no, we can't because <laughs> too much of the stuff is frozen. Uh, and so there's not enough water base left. So it's not like a slushy machine where, you know, over a third of the liquid is still liquid and we can carbonate that. I was like, and plus those machines are meant to hold pressure. It's just not going to work. He's like, but can you do it? Can you do it? I'm like, you know what? Come to the school. We'll give it a shot. So he comes to the school and I try to plug all of the holes in the tailor up and just put like a light, like a light CO2 pressure into that thing while I was spinning. Let's just say it took many days to get all the ice cream base off of all of the surfaces of that kitchen. And I was never forgiven ever in the pastry department for that. So the other time, <laughs> Stas, do you, do you remember the time we were trying to heat rocks in the kitchen? And I was like, this was upstairs on the fourth floor because we were working on hot stones. So like Korean stone bowls, I was working on hot stones. This is when we were developing the red hot poker, right? And so I was like, well, what if we tried to heat just, you know, we tried to heat stones and we threw the stones in, you know, like the way that they do hot stones out of a fire for like, you know, like sauces and like boiling things in the old days. The oldest form of boiling people, you get a leather, you get a leather container or a wooden container. You take a hot rock out of the fire, you throw it into the container, you boil. So I knew in the back of my head, I was like, look, a lot of rocks contain water in them, right? And if you got a, a rock that contains water and you heat the heck out of it, sucker might 
might explode. So I was like, well, there's no one here. I'm just going to put a bunch of rocks on this uh, burner, turn it on and walk away and see what happens. And I didn't know that again, pastry, pastry chef was coming in to do some prep work. And Nastasi and I had Dear gone down God. to our, yeah, we had gone down to our trash hole because Nastasi and I worked in a trash room. Like, uh, <laughs> like literally we worked in a trash closet. Yeah. Uh, and we were happy to have it. Uh, <laughs> and so we're like, boom. And then like, like we ran downstairs and oh my God, the look, the look on that chef's face. She was not pleased with us. <laughs> like rock shards everywhere. Ever. So uh, come by. And then there was a the time that like, I think I told this one, there was a the time we were carbonating and I needed to carbonate something. And for some reason the school had, uh, uh, what's it called? They had uh, made a deal with Fiji water. And like, I've never been a fan of shipping water thousands of miles. It makes no damn sense to me at all. But like, especially a water with no taste, right? And no offense to Fiji, I guess I'm not gonna sponsor this, but like Fiji water is just water in a square bottle, right? The other terrible thing about square bottles is they cannot take pressure. And so, Nastasi, you know how impatient I get. Yeah. Yeah, so like I'm, I'm there, I'm down in the amphitheater, I'm like, I need a carbo bottle, nothing. I need a carbo bottle, nothing. I need a carbo bottle, nothing. So I just dump a Fiji out, I'm like, F it. Boo, it was coffee. I put the coffee in, I carb it, boom, boom. Just like co- like a line of coffee around the entire back of the amphitheater. It was awesome. It was the best. So anyway, I, mean, I was- sounds great. Oh, it was great. It was great. I loved it. But, you know, look, I would say a good 80% of the time, my crap on it, let's just get it done, actually does get it done. Right? What do you think, Stas? Uh-huh. I'd say 75%. Yeah, which I think is fine. That's close. Yeah, I mean, you're fine. So, you know, Nastasi and I especially hate it when people sit around talking about what they could do and then doing nothing instead of just doing something and then like failing we drove or not. 12, hours, 12 straight hours to Maine and back. Yeah, just because, and people are like, oh, but you could do this or you could do that. Or I could sit around talking about going and getting these things until I'm dead. I could just go. You know what I mean? It's just like, even if it's not the best, do something. Is doing something is almost always better than doing nothing. As long as you must, as long as you must do something, do something, right? Or you know what makes me it? upset about this whole have to stay in thing? What's that? Is that everybody's complaining about having to stay in? But before this, all people wanted to do was stay in and watch Netflix and watch their shows. So they're getting exactly what they wanted. I think this is oh. you, Nastasia. You you hate those people, and so now you have some sort of thing against them because you don't have a Netflix account. No, no. I have all the accounts. I just don't waste time doing that. But like people are like, man, I wish I could. So you just waste money paying for those accounts? What's going on here? Yeah. yeah. There's like a comedy special like that I have to see. I'll watch it. But I probably turn those apps on like once every two months, once every three months. I was ready. Wait, I was Stasia. ready to get all the cooking issues listeners together to fundraise for you to have like a Hulu account. No, but no, no. Apparently, it's you're good. Money. It's not the money. Hulu's good. Wait, Nastasia, how do you feel burgers. about the SNL news? That they're not coming back for like yeah yeah that's the worst part. Of the Who knows? Yeah. That's the worst part. That's the worst part. I mean, in terms of my entertainment, you know. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you know, people dying, like everyone losing their job. In terms of my entertainment, I don't watch garbage like TV on whatever people watch. Mm, yeah. So Nastasia really, really appreciates everyone else's entertainment tastes. There's gonna be people should be. They want. They want fucking shows. Gonna be some enterprising individual who like recreates SNL on you know like a web stream. Never. 
You can't have SNL without the audience. Won't be the same. Exactly. That's what I yeah. said. Man, what are you going to do? Put a canned laugh track on it? You're not going to do that. Uh, okay. So back to uh, uh, Joao's question. Uh, the actual question. Why are Paco Jets so expensive? What is up with that? Is a uh, better or cheaper option in BDX's future? Okay. Here's the thing. Uh, we had initially looked into doing something, uh, maybe. The reason they're expensive is because they're made... They, they used to be expensive because they had a patent on them and only one person could make them. That The original patent has since run out. And you can find the patent uh, online. The pa- they, Paco Jets are also um, almost completely... Like the, the gearing and the belts and all of that are relatively complicated because instead of um, instead of doing the feed rate with a microprocessor, it's all with gears and belts. So part of that's the expense. It's also made in Switzerland. And if you know how much people make in Switzerland, it's a lot. So like you have to pay like this Swiss person to make it. And then also the Euro, you know, uh, or the, do they still, they use Euros in, in Switzerland, right? They don't use, do they use Swiss no, francs? they're what francs. They're francs. And the Swiss franc is probably doing well because no matter what happens, they'll take uh, whatever Swiss your murder money always, is. The Swiss franc always does well. People believe in the Swiss. Yeah, because, you know, you, you murder a bunch of people. You need some place to put your money. That's where you go, right? Where I put my murder money. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone everyone on all sides needs a place to hide their murder money. Um, so you have this the Swissness of it, and then you have uh, mechanical parts. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that if you had to make one from scratch... Uh, if you were going to make one in small units, like let's say I was going to make one, Nastasia and I were going to make one, it would probably cost the same if we were going to make it and try to be reasonable. Now, if someone like Acquisinart wanted to make one, then they would cheapen down the materials. It wouldn't be as robo. It would function kind of similarly, uh, but they could probably get it done for, I'm going to say, 500 bucks, five, 600 bucks. But if you think about it, if Cuisinart is selling something for... $600. Let's say Cuisinart, they don't really make anything that expensive, but if Cuisinart is selling something for $600, it's, they have to be able to make it in a factory for a quarter of that or less because they have their marketing money, their shipping money, the middle person, the blah, 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 blah. So you're saying that you have to get all the parts for that uh, in at like 120 uh, $120, $130. And it's just, I don't see having that robo a thing being manufactured right now for that amount of money. But there is no reason that the, the it's like the VCRs. For those of you that remember what a VCR was, it was like a video cassette recorder. Like they were extremely expensive until they needed to make 8 jillion of them and then they were almost free. Even though the mechanics were difficult, it's just we're not in that, um, in that scale zone yet where it becomes reasonable to uh, make. But what do you think? Good job. Mm. Tell me more. Tell me more about this VCR. Yeah. Yes. So it used to be that uh, you know there was a small gnome inside of your television. That's why they were so deep. And uh, you would plug this box, and there was like a there was like a large like uh, it was shaped. Uh, how do I describe this in something that a modern person could understand? Like a milk bone dog treat box. Uh-huh. And you would stick it in, and then the gnome would like take a scroll out of it, and then draw like three or four lines of video very quickly <laughs> on the inside of the television with like a with like a light pen, and uh-huh. that's how television used to work. So XL. yeah, so if you if you television's like Netflix for old people, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it used to be like if you look at like a a, a movie. 
like RoboCop. And th- th- you can really see what 80s television is because they really do, even on their 35 millimeter, which obviously is like 35, oh my God, it's such a low def format. But they show TVs, uh, TVs going. If, if People are a little bit, VCRs also, like a, the VHS tapes uh, degrade a lot over time. So it's a little unfair to say taking your, your mom and dad's VHS tapes and playing them now is what we used to watch. Uh, because they have degraded quite significantly since the 80s and 90s, but it's um, it was still pretty bad. It was like a couple hundred lines of resolution at most, like three, four hundred li- real lines. They said it was uh, six, eight. So a standard TV definition is six, 680 pixels by uh, 400, six, six, uh, wait, six, wait, 480, 640, 480, I think 640, 480. If that was the resolution of your iPhone, you would hurl it out the window and like stomp on it and like scream how you were being deprived of anything. And yet that was the maximum resolution any of us had. And we were, we were glad to have it. Glad. <laughs> we loved it. Anyway. Uh, uh, Dave, just, I need this for the show notes. Are you generation X? Is that what we're calling you? He's a boomer. That- uh, yeah. Okay. Douche. <laughs> please, please say you're a boomer. Please say boomer. Uh, I'm gonna just put. Is it okay if in the show notes I put boomer? No, no, because we're the forgotten generation. Everyone forgets that we exist. Our parents I, are boomers. All right, fifty-fifty. I might. First put of all, boomer anyway. Nastasia's Nastasia's parents are boomers, and Nastasia and I, even though she is ten years younger, we're in the same generation. I'll put Generation X slash boomer. I'm a millennial, Dave. No, you're not. Or eight, you're yeah, not. You're not a millennial. According to the year, I am, but not by temperament. Now you're not a freaking millennial. <laughs> I don't even think by year. Like, my sister's a millennial. No, it's Stasia hates the weakness of boomers. What weakness do boomers have? Boomers oh, made all the money, COVID-19. did all the stuff. Like, what weakness do boomers have? Like, it's X that, that it's X that's weak. Like, we have nothing. We, what do we do? You know what I mean? You're the survivors, I It's think. two boomers that are running for president right now. No Xers are running for anything anymore. We all got nuked. Yeah. That's why it's X. It has no meaning. Why do you think they call us Gen X? It wasn't because there was a a, a T, a U, and a V, and a W before us. It's because we have nothing. We are X. Useless. Nothing. Blank. Generation nothing. Is that really why? Yes. Yeah. And then Y comes after X. And Z comes That's after like Y. Yeah, it's just like, but but at the time, everyone was like, oh, the boomers, they had this, you know, everyone came back from the, we had the greatest generation because they fought the war. And then when they came home, they had a lot of sex and they made the boomers and man, the economy exploded and all this stuff happened. And then they're like, what are you? What do you do? And we're like, we have sex equals death and we're the first generation to be more conservative than our parents. Yay. Do you think that there's going to be a baby boom due to everyone being shut down hold up for the next whatever a mini, a, a mini boom yeah that's what people are saying i'm having a great time over here <laughs> <laughs> to be honest nastasia it takes two people to create a boom oh, 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 no, no, no 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 nastasia is focused on self-generating part parthenogenic boom yeah she's cloning her yeah, if, uh, yeah can yeah. you imagine I, mean, I have like a billion kids right now so. if we're if we're supposed to say six feet from each other that's like kind of the only way gotta figure it out yeah uh, uh, uh. it's gotta you know yeah i don't know whether those kind of fluids are fomites but i assume that they are okay uh. Uh, okay blair writes in hi and hello from poland firstly 
Can I give some obligatory praise and thank you to this podcast has changed the course of my life a few years ago. Um, honestly, I'm delighted to now have a good reason to write in with a question. Here it goes. Uh, I was working on espresso concentrate to be stored in individual ampules. What do you think about the word ampule, Nastasia? To me, it reminds me of cyanide, like I'm going to get killed. Oh, um, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I like the I like the mouthfeel mouthfeel of ampule. Ampule, pule. Yeah. How yeah. many syllables is it? Uh huh. Ampule two two right ampule or it's two right? It's two, but with a high uh, letter to syllable ratio. It's a chewy word. It's a seriously chewy word. Ampule. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and rehydrated with hot water, hopefully with as little flavor degradation as possible when compared to the original product. So far, so far, I'm pouring the shot directly onto a metal plate cooled by a recirculating chiller, uh, passing uh, through a thick filter paper, vacuum sealing, freezing, then concentrating through the melting process, yields, and it yields not an unpleasant result, although the aromatics are diminished and bitter, planty flavors are emphasized. I've been working on the assumption that preventing the overextraction of residual solids and oxidation is the key. I'm planning on giving bentonite a try for a bit of fining. Perhaps the Cooking Issues Collective Encyclopedia could suggest some further avenues for exploration, as well as concentrating through melting, and I'm assuming you mean freeze-thaw, uh, the, the best way when quality is paramount. Uh, love you guys, Blair. All right, here's what I'm going to say about this. I would love the chat room once it exists again live to weigh in on this. However, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I, I don't, I think oxidation is a thing. Also, um, autolysis. So like the, the compounds that are in uh, espresso are changing the, the minute they're made and you kind of can't stop that from uh, changing. Uh, Illy, if you get the Chemistry of Quality, which is uh, Illy's book, they've done a lot of research. And if you look on the online, go to do a search like on Elsevier or Google, Google Scholar, and then uh, go to um, uh, Sci-Hub and you, you can look it up. People have done a lot of work on the change in the organoleptic qualities of espresso based on, for instance, your chill rate. So I had always thought that rapid chilling was was good, but the Illy people seem to think that rapid chilling is not the best. So this is all stuff that can be uh, tweaked through. But I would say that the, the solids that are coming out of the shot are pretty much as extracted as they're going to be, and I wouldn't worry that's the problem. I think you're losing a lot through the filter paper, including a lot of the oils and things, um, if you're kind of worried, worried about that. I also ha don't have a lot of experience with freeze concentration other than with alcohol, and I'm assuming you're going to lose uh, a lot, although there are a lot of people working with freeze concentration now, so I, I could be wrong. I would say invest, find someone who owns one, and do some freeze drying. So freeze drying is amazing. So then you just take, you, you, you lay it out thin, you freeze dry it, it'll turn to a powder, it'll reconstitute pretty well. And I'm gonna say that freeze drying is your best opportunity. And because freeze drying is done in a high vacuum, uh, there's not going to be a lot of oxidation because there's not a lot of oxygen uh, and the water is immobilized fairly quickly. So if there was a problem with continued extraction, I don't think it would be a continuing problem. Um, one thing I'll say about freeze drying is, is that obviously you are sucking, uh, you know, you're losing a lot of volatiles because you're, you know, in a sense, uh, sublimating all the stuff off, but you're not losing as much as you would think. And I don't really understand why I would not try bentonite. I mean, try it. I 
I take that back. Try it. And then you can see how much flavor bentonite strips out. Bentonite is a, bentonite's a mean son of a gun in terms of stripping flavor. It's good at finding things, but it's very high stripping in terms of flavor. But give it a shot. Let us know how it works. Uh, Chris Wright writes in on olives. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is on the chat. I'm wondering if olive curing techniques can be applied to other fruits slash vegetables. Can you think of an agricultural product local to the Northeast? I'm in Pennsylvania. That might be well suited for this. Um, I mean, the thing about curing olives, I mean, you could obviously... Uh, oil cure uh, things or salt cure things for sure. But the specific thing about an olive that is important is that it is intensely bitter. And so most of the curing processes in olives are about mitigating that bitterness. So I don't know that you're going to, other than just like, uh, you know, if you figure out some way to like salt, dehydrate, and then store something, sure. But I don't think you're going to have the... You know, you're not doing it for the same reason in another vegetable as you are in an olive. But, you know, when the chat room people hear this, maybe they have some suggestions and they can come back on and give it to us for the next show. Uh, Sam writes in about sous vide. I'm Sam from New Zealand. Uh, I'm up to like podcast 370 at the moment. What are we up to now, Matt? What have we, what have we done? Oh, God. Uh, I know we're nearing 400. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think I must hate myself or just be the biggest beta male that exists. How's that, Stas? You know how I hate that. Yeah. Uh, my question is around proper sous vide slash low temp technique. My problem has begun as a steak problem. My usual process is to dry brine. By the way, Sam, dry brining. Where did this word come from? It's salting, salting, dry brine. Everyone says this now, dry brining. You mean, you mean you salted it? You salted it? Anyway, so, um... My usual process is to dry brine between an hour and one day with between half a percent and one percent salt. I'm guessing by weight. Then uh, sous vide at 55 degrees uh, Celsius for one to two hours. So 55 uh, is like like 100 and what is it, 130? Someone can look that up for me. I, I can't right now. Then uh, searing it off. Uh, this is a good steak, but I've noticed the hammy cure texture you've spoken about in the past. Uh, I've also experienced this with deboned lamb leg, which I deboned, salted with uh, uh, three quarters of a percent salt, re-rolled and left in the fridge for 24 hours. Yeah, you're going to cure that sucker up there. I then roasted this to an internal temp of 71 degrees Celsius uh, to serve to my red phobic parents. You should just blindfold them. Cook it to the right temperature and then blindfold them. Don't you think that's a better solution? Uh, yeah, every dish should be served with a side of lying. Not even lying. You're not saying what it is. It's just you're blindfolding them. You're like, here, have some land. It's cooked. All true. Or what if they wore, I wonder if you wore pink glasses, what people's reaction to pink meat would be if you wore pink glasses. This would be an interesting test to force people to wear rose-colored glasses while they eat meats cooked to different things and see what their enjoyment is versus not. Wouldn't that be interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would do it because my get my well you don't eat meat though but you would for science I know that's why I, <laughs> I'm a you horrible one, test subject take one for the team all right uh, wow oh god what's happening what why is the what what's going on over there Matt you're exploding over here that's yeah. not me it's me right. it's our one thirty but I guess we're going okay right, well on. no I mean, we should I, we we gotta get off I gotta finish this question all right go all right. This was good, soft, salted throughout, but still had that texture, that hammy texture near the center of the meat. I miss the more traditional grain structure of the not dry brine meat, but don't want to give up the flavor and softness of a dry brine product. Okay, listen, you got a, you got a bunch of different issues going on here. Don't salt the long-cooked meat beforehand. Don't do it. On something that you want to have a steak texture on, right, don't salt it beforehand. Here's what you do. 
after you cook it, if you cook it for a long time, it's gonna get soft anyway. It just won't be hammy and firm if you don't salt it beforehand. Before you serve it, slice it thin and then salt the bejesus uh, uh, afterwards. Or if you only salt it an hour, if you're gonna cook it only for a couple of hours, like a steak, you can salt, salt it, put it in the bag, cook it and serve it relatively quickly. Also, if you're cooking to 55, uh, after the internal reaches the temperature, depending on the thickness of your steak, drop the temperature down to like 52 to let it ride for a while so you don't get that, because firmness will increase over time even at, at, at 55. Uh, so anyway, and so next week we'll deal with Eddie Donnell and his carbon, carbonation question because I'm being told that we're, we're leaving now. But leave it, I will say this, Eddie, cooling is still critical. Even the person whose video you sent me says so. Take a look at their comments, and we'll talk about it again next week. Oh, Stay oh, safe. Wait, what? Dave, wait. What? We should ask if they would like to see video of us doing this. We don't have the capability. I mean, I'm sure some program has the capability. Also, Kat was supposed to ask about all the stuff we cooked from Ben's box. I cooked all this stuff. I cooked the, I cooked the grits. We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that at a future we'll time. About, I, I don't made, know I about made the shrimp video and grits. I made delicious shrimp and grits. I cooked the Rancho Gordo yeah. beans. They were delicious. You know, I've been cook I've been cooking up a storm with these. These are all things people need to do inside now that they're trapped inside. Beans. Beans. Grits. We'll talk about it next, next week. Next week. Next week. All right, cooking issues. Cooking issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.